to come in, lap after lap after lap, and what does he do? He ignores them. A committee meeting about it, stick it on and send him out. Just get it through the bus stop chicane, George, try and straight line it, get to the line and we'll see what happens. Perez tries to cut off Hamilton, oh! who rolls up and goes straight on. This is kind of appalling, this is the worst start for a Grand Prix that I have ever seen in the whole of my life. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Unqualified. We are here to talk about the legendary Silverstone weekend, which Gerald Carter, who's with me, I think that would have been enough, but my man, about eight hours ago, silly season has come early in July. Danny Rick returns to Formula One. We got a loaded agenda. It's great to see you after a uh, short break in amongst this doubleheader. How are you, buddy? Where the hell should we start? I'm phenomenal. Pleasure to see you, as always. I think we just start from the top, and I have to say, from Friday through Sunday, I thought this was possibly the best weekend of the year. Did you agree? I want you to sell me on that. So I'm, I'm not, um, I, I don't, I'm not like categorically objecting to that. But I, I'm not. I wasn't thinking that coming into this. I was prepared to be positive about Silverstone, mm. but I wasn't ready to cheerlead it as the best weekend of the year. So, pl- like, sell me. Give yeah, me your pitch. Uh, please. So, starting with practice, I think there was more surprise and more intrigue in terms of, one, expectations or anticipations around new team upgrades, right? And certain teams totally outperformed expectations, even in light of that, namely, you know, Williams, right? So you saw this crazy storyline of Williams consistently in practice, putting up good times, second, third place. It wasn't just Albon. Sargent was up there as well. So there was this intrigue. There was this dynamic of new tires coupled with the upgrades and how was that playing? So I felt like practice itself had a much higher level of intrigue than admittedly for most viewers it does. And so I think the broadcasters were equally as excited about that. Then you move into qualifying, which not being a full rain qualifying still tested the drivers. You had this sort of wet qualifying, but dry enough to have all the drivers on slicks and throughout, especially early in qualifying, you had these incredibly stressful situations. You basically had a one lap shootout to end NQ1, right? Where people lined up after the flag and had one chance to put up their top lap and times just tumbled down the board. Then later in qualifying, you have, you know, surprise performances, namely McLaren. You actually have somebody taking the top, you know, pole position up until Max comes with the sort of final lap of the session uh, to recapture pole. And then in the race, you actually had a battle multiple battles at the front of the grid. You had a great race start, somebody actually capturing first place from Verstappen from a time and holding him off for more than two or three corners. And then subsequently a battle from second, third, fourth, and fifth throughout the restart. And so I just felt like throughout the whole weekend, a lot of intrigue. You had a lot of surprises. The main the only two things that weren't surprising was that Max won and Ferrari threw away more places than any other team on the grid. But beyond that, you really didn't know what to expect. And so I just felt like in a traditional format, you know, not having it packed jam full of a sprint race and sprint qualifying, there was something to, you know, grab onto in all the sessions. You so sold? let's, let's, let's put a pin in the quality of what happened on track. I think you make a lot of great points. I want to come back to that. Is the the aura of Silverstone overly romanticized by British media, and does that take away from the allure of the weekend? I will say it is extremely romanticized by British media, almost sickeningly so. But I will admit, I think that is only my jealousy as an American fan wishing that we had such a equally prestigious and exciting venue here in the States. And so they have an awesome venue with awesome fans and awesome history. And as much as I hate listening to it drone on and on for minutes on end at the start of every session, it's well-deserved. So 
allow all the British broadcasters to pat themselves and their country on the back. It's it's well deserved. You remember last week when I said like Logan Sargent wasn't quite it for me for American drivers. I wanted a cowboy like in the seat. I think I feel similarly what on what you just said about racetracks and that in America, I really want like us to have a Talladega on the calendar. Like, meaning and what? that is what I, that's what I think. Like, that's what I think Silverstone is to the Brits. It's like their Talladega dude. Like everybody rolls up in an RV. It's not on an expensive piece of property. The track is incredible, steeped in history, including the history of Great Britain. And it's just like a blue collar, just pure racing weekend. And dude, I, I effing love it. I, so I asked the question and maybe insinuated a little bit of skepticism about the romantic, romanticized nature of it. I'm totally with you, dude. It totally flows out of jealousy. I think it's like one of the purest race weekends on the calendar. And like, we must protect Silverstone at all, at all costs. I, I was texting my brother at various points who I've been to most of the races I've been to with. And we both are like, I think Silverstone has risen to the very top of my bucket list for next places to go. No, like no doubt about it. So that's before everything that happened actually on track, which I think I'm also largely not going to be able to produce much controversy here because I think you're mostly right. Although it's just so hard to let go of the fact that God, how much more amazing would it have been if like the number one finisher wasn't totally predetermined? Like then it would have been like a generationally good race. You know, like that's the only thing that was really stopping us or maybe like a red flag, you know. But I think it says something in the fact that it was a heck of a lot closer for at least some duration of the race than most of them have been this season and and even all the way to the end. Right. I mean, smallest finishing margin, albeit largely on the back of of the uh, the safety car. But but still, yeah, I mean, in terms of top races to go to, I would say outside of just accessible races in the States and then Mexico city next for me, I would say Austria and Silverstone are our top of the list. I mean, Austria just for the, for the vibe. And I think overall like visibility of the track to me seems highest at Austria, but the whole like massive RV venue, that is the, the sort of Silverstone broader complex and just how much that, how much fun that must be to just roll up there and spend the weekend hanging out at the RV and, and then heading to the track. Um, yeah, it seems like a, a good time. It, it It is the antithesis of like all of the new money. Antithesis of like Vegas and Miami yes. for sure. Yeah. And, which is and, so and appealing Saudi. to me. In, in Saudi. Yeah. Right. Like jet, like, and trust me, I'm not as critical of like all the new U S tracks as you are. And I certainly don't hear people being critical of Vegas because of, you know, it's just, it's Vegas. Like it's going to be huge, but I think it's just a reinforcement that the F1 calendar needs the balance. And it seems like Stefano appreciates that. I think the question is always about like, okay, well, how do you wait it? Like, you know, I'm willing to defend Silverstone on this accord, but also partially based on my own experiences, I would say, fuck Monza, blow it into the ocean. So <laughs> like, you know, it's all in the eye of the beholder, uh, mostly which country you're born in and which ones you like and dislike. But, um, and also the nostalgia of the drivers, man, like listen to Lewis Hamilton talk about his lower like formula series experiences on the track and reflect on karting and like all of that, dude, it's just so cool. And to see him and Lando both on the podium, especially Lando, obviously, but I was eating it with a spoon, man. I really was. Um, yeah. And to, for Williams to be up where they were, it was a British weekend, like British other than Max, who is the ultimate just Death Star spoiler. It was the only, which I know you fucking love. It was the ultimate British racing weekend. It really was. Here, here. And it, with a, a touch of rain, just a touch, you know. Just enough to, to make things interesting in, in qualifying. It, you got to love that. You, I will say, I think you are right, that the highest aspiration for qualifying is one where the track evolution is so severe that it is truly one lap per driver straight up. And, hey, man. At the end of the day, F1 is also a thinking man's game, and Perez chose to go out at the beginning of the pack at the end of Q1 when it restarted, and he fucked himself. So, you know, sometimes that's how you lose, and he deserves all the credit for for choosing that, you know, in that bed and laying in it. So, I mean, was that his vote to go out there sort of that early and and sit at the end of pit lane to go, or was that sort of on team direction? I don't really know to be I, certain. I don't. 
I don't, I don't, I mean, we wouldn't have heard a radio message on that because they were in the garage and nothing would have been broadcast. But I have to imagine that if a driver felt really strongly about the timing of being on track and evolution, like they would get to have input on that. I, you know, like I can't imagine, like at, at best, he's a passive participant in a team decision. And even then I would still say like, God, like, do you think Max would make that mistake? I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't seem to like, it just seems surprising to me that he was sitting out there knowing it, like he they had to not expect that there was going to be that long of a delay because that put him at such an extreme disadvantage. And look, he should he should be able to be still to deliver a lap that gets him out of Q1, let's be honest. But don't you think that that was a almost an insurmountable set of challenges to overcome the fact that one he's sitting out there with no warming blankets? Then he has to go out there first, which knowing that sort of the last lap is going to be the best conditions. I mean, he had it sort of stacked against him in that situation to try and put up. And especially given the fact that he has never seemed to get his tires in the right window in qualifying for like optimal, optimal lap time and in, in, in wet or colder conditions. So based on how much time was left on the clock when the red flag went out, Red Bull knew that he wasn't going to get two laps, right? So why would they, why would they, knowing that, make him the first car on the grid? That makes no sense. Like, the only thing you'd be hedging against is making sure that you got across the line and got your lapping in time. So you wouldn't want to be dead last. Which is also weird because it, there is, yeah, I think they knew at that point that there wasn't going to be an advantage unless they really thought that there was going to be rain, you know, another spot of rain was going to come and somehow ruin it before the end. That's the only thing that would have, incentivize you to be first out there on a drying track. So it, it was odd and, and that sort of ruined his ruined his race. So, and hundred percent, you know, I think what, that was the fifth race in a row. He hasn't made Q3 and somebody put together the stats of, you know, you see the driver head to head against their teammate, how they're performing and qualifying or races a lot of times. Well, somebody did it for all the drivers on the grid. And I think nine different drivers on the grid have, better qualifying performance than him. Look, which is shocking. We, we've, I've been getting some slack, uh, offline, uh, over text that you and I are not being hard enough on Perez on this pod, which I take great offense to mostly on your behalf, because I think you've been an asshole to him. Uh, <laughs> what more I could I certain, possibly say? I, it, right. Other, yeah. Other than maybe going after his family, I think you've been pretty uh, below the belt. We know that that's more your territory. Correct. Uh, So, (laughs) um, but hey, I just want to make very clear uh, for all the shitheads listening here. uh, I'm I'm like the Red Bull driver program, man. At the end of the day, I have guys that I like because they they have great personalities. But at the end of the day, you got to show me receipts. And right now, Perez is not showing a whole lot of receipts. And here comes Danny Rick. I, you know, love it or hate it, the pressure just got turned up. And I'm not saying I want it to happen. That's all I'm saying. But at the end of the day, I think that I genuinely don't hate the Red Bull driver philosophy of meritocracy, have a quick leash, these guys are disposable. And Perez may end up suffering the consequences of that cursed second Red Bull seat. And it wouldn't surprise me at this point. Um just based on their tendencies with drivers. So I, I guess I don't know that I want to be characterized as defending him. I want him to succeed, though. I really do. I'm just open to the possibility now that he might not in a system like Red Bull. Well, and Does that make sense? And I liked, was you threw out a lot there. So in terms of Perez in particular, it feels like Perez and then the, the driver program. But in terms of Perez in particular... Yeah, I'd like to see him succeed as well. I think, you know, he has a fascinating set of strengths. I think they were like particularly strong in the prior generation of cars, right? The ability to manage and nurse tires in this new generation and even more so as Pirelli continues to develop the tires to be more and more robust. And while they say they're the same compound, I'm not sure I entirely believe that. I think they're moving in the wrong direction, both in terms of weight and outright degradation and therefore you're getting less two-stop races a lot of one-stop races george Russell out on for 30 laps on a set of softs that mediums were projected to only go 20 to 27 laps so i think the tires are moving the wrong direction i think that moves away from perez and what he kind of brought that was that was really i want to say unique but 
particularly strong relative to his competitors. But that being said, yeah, you have to deliver. And I feel like I have pretty much said the man needs to be getting into Q3 every single race and it's absurd he's not. And none of his recovery drives have been sufficiently impressive to warrant one of the mistakes, much yet five. So for me, it's not a question of if he's gone. I think that's already been sealed with this sort of record-breaking terribleness that we've seen over the last five races, really the last five qualifyings, right? But the question of when really comes down to who is the best alternative and when are they available? And that second question I think is particularly important because there's not really any drivers available as of 2023 that are better than Perez, other than Hamilton. But but there's a guy who we might find out maybe feels at home in a Red Bull car in ways that were never possible at McLaren. All right. Well, let's, you know, let's, I know I, you're eager to do this, so let's I, let's talk about Ricardo. Let's, what's the, I know this is breaking news. What's the latest? I feel like a CNN reporter here on dude, breaking news, you know, except for the, except for the, you know, feelings dude, of selling my soul to the pharmaceutical companies, but. <laughs> uh, Danny Rick did a tire test at Silverstone following the race weekend. Uh, it was on a different compound of tire and harder, and there are no officially published track times. Everything you see on Twitter is very speculative, but the rumor is he did well, and he has been announced as the second driver at AlphaTauri in replace of Nick DeVries effective immediately and will be in the car at the Hungara ring in two weeks. And this is on the heels of what we presume to be you know, consistently strong simulator results that have shown supposedly uh, a return to form. Okay. What, Gerald, okay. What if in the, the, the arc of the universe and its path for all the people involved here, the ultimate answer to the curse of the second Red Bull seat is the return of Daniel Ricardo. That would make a lot of sense. I mean, it would make no sense, but it would also make a lot of sense. One of the things I find most interesting about the the whole situation is the fact that, yes, he might be well-suited to the Red Bull car. What I find tough to see is him excelling in the AlphaTauri being the the setting the precedent for him then moving into the Red Bull. It's almost like if he's the, in the Red the Bull, car seat, dog it, shit. he could do great. But I think the race had a really good piece today, sort of recapping his challenges at McLaren and the characteristics of that car and then paralleling him to the difficulties of this car. And so I just find, I find it, assuming all of that is true, right? It's namely, you know, really difficult on corner entry and then understeer on exit that was the characteristic of the McLaren that he struggled with. And that's the same troubles that the AlphaTauri is having. And so I, I think, yes, maybe he does great in a Red Bull. Maybe he tests the Red Bull great. But let's be honest, you put Norris in that Red Bull and do testing, he's probably going to do pretty damn good as well. So I think the big test is all comes down to, can he perform better than, can he perform better than, um, Sonoda, and I just don't know that his adaptability is going to lend itself to a car that has similar challenges to the one he was not able to figure out after a two-year time frame. Don't let facts get in the way of a good story here, Gerald. I'm not going to pretend to understand and the parallel. Universe? <laughs> no, the 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 tendencies of the McLaren with the AlphaTauri. I think that's a stretch. All he, you said it. All he has to do is beat Sonoda. But, All he has to do is beat Sonoda. But here's Sonoda. my question to you. What if he what is the perception of Ricardo if he can't outperform Sonoda, who's already sitting at the back of the grid and 15th regularly? Well, then you know what you need to know, but you wouldn't have learned anything more valuable by keeping Nick DeVries in the seat. So the only criticism you can really lob at Red Bull is that they're they're being unfair to Liam Lawson or Kellum Eilat or whoever that Japanese kid they've got in F2 right now is I can't remember his name. Like that's and, and that's that's a valid criticism, but what I would say is like, okay, well, they have made a habit of only going through young drivers in the past. They are in a bit of a philosophical shift right now where they're going away from that a little bit. Maybe they'll whip back to it one day, but like every every young driver is a known commodity. The other benefit of Danny Rick, and um, I'll give 
Matt Gallagher and Tom Bellingham credit for this because I heard their video this morning on this. It also gives Red Bull a really objective measuring stick for Yuki Sonoda, which is also valuable. Because what if Ricardo comes in, Sonoda blows his doors off, and they put Sonoda in to replace Perez? They would have had a more objective measurement for that than they had with Nick DeVries, which inherently by itself is valuable. I just feel like as as shitty as the car is, if we assume that that's true, I don't think you learn that much about either of them unless P- Ricardo comes in and blows the doors off Sonoda. But but also, how shitty was the McLaren at in Bahrain? Like shit, like being dog shit bottom of this grid means something a lot different than being dog shit bottom of the grid five years ago. I guess. I'm not saying it's not outside the realm of possibility that Alpha Tauri recovers some level of form at some point in the second half of the year that enables Ricardo to put it in the points consistently and significantly differentiate him for himself from Sonoda. I don't think it's probable, but it is possible. I guess I, like, I guess I feel like if if Sonoda outperforms Ricardo, I don't learn that much more that about Sonoda than I already thought because I didn't think Ricardo was going to do a good job going into Alpha Tauri. If they're close, then I think they're both eh, and the car sucks. Only if Ricardo blows the doors off Sonoda and all of a sudden is scoring points on a somewhat regularly regular basis do I go, wow, clearly Sonoda's not that good and the car's better than we, we expected. And in all honesty, even if that is true, I don't, I wouldn't pick either of those two drivers to replace Perez at this point for any kind of multi-year deal, except for maybe a one-year deal to wait to get some other driver. Like I would take Signs or Norris or, you know, over, over, or fuck Piastri at this point over them. They're not, so, nope. Who, who's going to be available? That's my, that's my rub with it. If McLaren At the end of this season. Yes. At the end of this season, who's going to be available? Yeah, nobody. You Hamilton, Joe, Hulkenberg, Sonoda, or Sargent. And that's why I say maybe you exactly. have a one-year deal, but I'm not keeping either of them in that seat beyond knowing that Signs, Piastri, Albon yeah, all come available point. after that. Dude, Ricardo's playing with house money. All he's vying for is a one-year deal in 2024. It's a moonshot. Nobody said. Nobody thinks this is the most likely scenario. I guess I'm more or less complimenting the guy for going to a team seemingly against the grain, taking a back seat, so he had the optionality to maybe get a beachhead back at Alpha Tauri and maybe put himself back into the conversation if Perez struggled. If he really thought through that scenario before he signed as the third driver at Red Bull, then he deserves some credit for thinking through his options effectively because they may not come true – but this move has made us see it's at least possible. And I wouldn't put it past Red Bull to make that bold of a move to literally and basically here's how it would work for them. They would let's let's pretend. Let's play the hypothetical forward and say Danny Rick blows Sonoda's doors off in an obvious way in the second half of the season. Perez continues to struggle. Basically, Red Bull buys out Perez in 2024. Danny Rick's salary is getting paid by McLaren this year, bukus of money, so it's not like that's a meaningful financial impact. And then basically what Red Bull will do is they'll say, well, we're going to pay Perez to not race, and Danny Rick, we're going to bring you in on a really low cost. You're getting the best car on the grid, and this is your shot to to, to redevelop a long-term relationship yeah, with us no in 2024. Power at that point. Correct. You have no negotiating power. It's all – dude, that is pure gravy for Red Bull corporately. They maintain full control. They have tons of options if Danny Rick doesn't pan out in 2024, and then they go try and poach a a, a second driver from a more well-established team. Or or when they promote Danny Rick out of AlphaTauri and they bring Liam Lawson into AlphaTauri, they come through their driver program, and he gets a year in the lower team. Do you think think there was any— It's not irrational. No, I think you're right. It's a good moonshot call. I think overall good strategy for him to— I think he learned from others of the value of sitting closer to the top team, right? Even if you're not the one— driving every weekend. I guess I wonder, one, well, the overall question is, do you think there was any, do you think that that scenario that you just outlined is more or less likely than him stepping into the seat directly at the end of the season, assuming Perez's form does not improve? That he just goes from being a reserve driver to then being the number two Red Bull driver. Like, did you ever, did you think that was ever a, a possibility, one that was equally equally as probable as this whole time in AlphaTauri and then jump up to Red Bull? Hard to say. I mean, I guess I didn't think it was impossible, 
that he could get put in the seat off testing data alone. But I think corporately that would have been hard for Red Bull to message, especially to their other young drivers. So I think having objective data of him on track, even if it's for a, a bottom feeding team, it only helps strengthen their case. Like, yeah, because my thought would be obviously that's a better option, right? For him to be able to prove himself in the simulator and step into the seat directly, because there is a lot of risk here. But at a certain point, you have to you have to be able to prove it on the clock. And again, and 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 Danny Rick's playing with house money, and Red Bull in no way cares about protecting Danny Rick from ruining his career ultimately, right? Like. They don't care. He, he he already has in their eyes, and so it's just like we're giving you a shot of redemption. This and is pays the path off to a shot. Yeah, he couldn't really say high no to this as an option. It's zero downside for Red Bull, super high upside. That's how they're viewing it, I think. And I don't know. I just I don't think it's dumb. You know, I don't. It's it's kind of harsh. It's not dumb though. I mean, it does feel a bit harsh to to DeVries. I mean, obviously he hasn't shown anything impressive in the first what, 10 races. I mean, there hasn't been anything special in qualifying, but after the first handful of races where Sonoda was sitting 10 and 11, a lot of times in the back half of that 10 races, he's been right back there with him as well. And so, you know, it's almost like if Sonoda didn't have those good of first few races, are you really sitting in the same situation? Or are you resolving to the fact that like the car is just that bad? To, to, but well, let's put the car strength aside. DeVries's race, racecraft is is shit. Yeah, it's, I mean, I feel like those, and that was in the window of he needs to show some improvement, right? And now he's yeah contacting I, with Magnuson multiple times a race. Like, yeah, I I have this theory that um, I have this theory that anyone who feels that Red Bull's being unfair to Nick DeVries probably just has never fired anyone in their life. Uh, <laughs> Tough dude, show me receipts. Nick DeVries didn't cut it. You know what? I think all the people that are crying on his behalf had no clue who he was two years ago. And he had already been forgotten as like a young, you know, he was a second career, kind of almost late career guy. And he got a shot unexpectedly because of one race, because a guy got sick. It was already a moonshot to begin with. I'm not here for this. Nick DeVries was entitled to more. It's a brutal sport. He was at arguably the most brutal team in terms of driver development and movement. I just it's it's hard for me to feel sorry for him, um, you know, or think that he was probably surprised by this. Well, in terms of the upside too for for Red Bull, have you heard the other conspiracy around uh, the fact that like Alphatari is trying to sign new new sponsors, and so Ricardo brings a bigger brand name and and encouraging. I mean, Sponsors. I mean, I don't even think that's like a conspiracy. That just seems like uh, uh, yeah, kind of a smart. Say, that seems smart logical. strategy. Yeah, yeah, it's logical. Um, they see what's in the pipeline and think, well, let's get a bigger face in there. Yeah, no, I, I, I think it's purely logical. Um, crazy times, man. I mean, the other conspiracy is that they're doing it to motivate Perez, which I think is a little bit of a step too far. But I mean, I, mean, I feel like if that, I don't think Perez needs that as motivation, right? I think he has probably overly quote unquote motivated, if not also known as stressed out of his mind, trying not to fuck up weekend out of weekend and knowing he's got one lap to deliver. Can you imagine him? I just want to know like what was going on inside the helmet as he's sitting at the end of the pit lane, knowing like I'm so fucked right now. My tires are cold. I'm the first one out here. This is the worst spot to be. And I got to fucking nail this. Otherwise, I'm like totally done here. Yeah, that's got to be about as shitty of a feeling as you can as you can have. So I don't know that he needs much more motivation um, or awareness of, of the, the situation that he's in trying to keep his his drive. If if Danny Rick. Puts it in the points in the Hungarian ring and Perez is out in Q3, Q1 again. What if they put Danny Rick on the front team by the summer break? It's not going to happen, but. We're like, this is getting out of control now. <laughs> All like, right, next time. I, lo- <laughs> I love how one sort of long tail event happens and then it all and it just totally sets a new precedent. Of like, well, what if this other extremely improbable thing also happens? Yeah, no, I, I think that's, I think it's hard press. And honestly, I'm, look, I thought DeVries was going to do better. So clearly, I don't know shit, but I. If I had, all right, so let's bet by, do you, what are you trying to say over the summer break or through the end of the season, who outperforms who, Sonoda or Danny Rick? Ooh, 
on what basis? Qualifying or points? Oh, um, can we do a composite? <laughs> <laughs> no, I had a long day at work. I don't think my brain's wired for that right now. Uh, all right, let's can say, we do some performance um, attribution? Sixty uh, percent <laughs> points, forty percent qualifying. I think that for a shit team at the bottom of the grid, qualifying is the more meaningful metric because there's a lot of noise and underperformance from the car that bears out over the race that isn't fair to them. So let's say qualifying. Okay. Uh, I think... So how many races do we have roughly left in the calendar? Uh, We've done... 13, 12, 13, 12. I don't remember how many. We've canceled. I think we've canceled two, so 12-ish. Let's say we got 12 weekends for round numbers. I think... I'll take Danny Rick in qualifying eight out of twelve. Eight out of twelve. I think that's the that's that's, that's the over. That's the threshold for him to have demonstrated a quality, a sufficiently quality performance. Dude, if if he shows up week one and puts Sonoda out in qualifying at the Hungaro Ring. I, I'm not saying that he deserves to be moved up. I don't away. But it, yeah, but dude, if like the the noise is only going to multiply every week. I mean, and then the mental Perez just mentally melts a little more and a little more oh, and presses Sonoda, harder and harder. Sonoda is Perez's best friend and, at this point. Like if correct. if, if Sonoda can just put the dagger, uh, put the put the fork in in Ricardo before he's even cooked, like Perez owes him a Rolex or some shit. What do you think? What's 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 your take on? Him I mean, I think you're right. I, I would have you would want to see. I think that's tough to just say qualifying, right? Because there is the racecraft element, right? Even though points themselves are hard to come by, obviously yeah, racecraft. Yes, there's not crashing, and then there is. You need to be demonstrating some action on track that during races that demonstrates the racecraft within the car as well, which was totally absent during his time at McLaren as well. But I think you're right. That can be sort of some qualitative factors beyond that. I would say, yes, eight out of 12 feels right. Prediction. Um, I'll go seven, five Sonoda. Okay. I'm sticking by I my think boy. It, I think Ricardo's taken eight. And I think in 2024, he's in the Red Bull seat. Wow. You're calling the Red I'm, Bull I'm, seat on that. You're, I'm going, you're I'm on going the hype it. train again, dude. Yeah. So, so Chase Yance, you want to talk a little more shit about how nice I am to Perez, you know, give me a call after this. I, I would like to speak to, you know, the egg that I definitely have on my face being the man who for most of the preseason trumpeted that Danny Rick would be an Indy car. Uh, and I, 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 I hand up, I own that. I fully own that. Uh, and I have to admit that not having Danny Rick as a part of the media events week in and week out this year, I've missed him a little bit. And I'm also just, uh, you know, as you, Gerald, uh, a fan of chaos and love to watch the world burn. And we've been a little bit starved for silly season action. So sue me. I'm, I'm, I'm in for this. Well, and I think by and large, like, as we've talked about before, this year is going to be a little, it's it's generally pretty light on silly season news, just given the number of drivers that are coming due, you know, 2024. So I'm here for the chaos as well. I'm glad you've taken some accountability for that. Makes me wonder though, as you talk about media days, right? Like Ricardo's obviously like the, the fan favorite. And then you saw Sonoda and Gasly, you know, doing all of these sort of extravagant um, team pairing, like weekend media prep stuff. Right. Um, Given the pressure that exists, given this like pressure cooker that's been created on the drivers in terms of like performing, do you expect similarly? I was initially thinking, oh, wow, like the media days are going to be ridiculous now with Sonoda and and Ricardo, like total bromance going to be pushed to the max. They're going to be doing all sorts of things. Or do you think it's going to be a little bit more, uh, a little bit more buttoned up given you know, Ricardo really needs to be here and be about his business. I don't know, man. Ricardo's kind of just Ricardo. I don't know how Sonoda's going to act. By the way, I just got to tell you, your Yuki Sonoda was basically Pierre Gasly's publicist take, and that's the only reason why we like Pierre. It was probably the take of the year. I've like spent time thinking about that after the fact, and like you fucking nailed that. Yeah, dude. He so, was. I don't know what the. I don't know what the but, like analogy is, but yeah, he yeah, was the. But, he made him look so much better. Yeah, he, uh, I, 
Ricardo obviously brings more to the table in terms of independent personality and likability than Pierre. Um, I tend to think it'll be a little bit more businesslike, though, as you allude. Um, but also, like, you know, they how much time have they had to develop a relationship? You know, you're just jumping right into race weekends. You haven't done any of the preseason promo stuff. You weren't at the car launch together. Uh, you know, that and that that stuff sacks up in terms of a lot of time. So I think a lot of it's just going to be like they don't really know each other, you know? Yeah, agreed. It'll be a little bit uh, a little bit slower going, but as you said, I think Ricardo's Ricardo, so he'll probably warm up pretty quick, and it'll be fun. But um, I also think Sonoda. There was just an element where like Sonoda and Pierre just didn't necessarily like. I don't think Pierre really expected to be going to Red Bull, so he was kind of in this like stable state. I don't think Sonoda was really at a plate like he kind of had seen himself to more junior to Pierre, so. He didn't have that mindset either. So I feel like it cre- created a very like casual environment and and it does not seem like that will be the same kind of environment that that Ricardo will be walking into. But as we speak about Pierre, I know you had a couple of, of thoughts from the weekend on Mr. Gasly as, as much as you try to uh, avoid talking about the French team as much as possible. There was a couple of things I think that uh, caught your caught your eye this weekend so why don't you talk me through uh your your latest thoughts on mr gasly uh in general uh you know uh, i got to call a spade a spade he was a little bitchy on team radio for basically the entire race and by a little bitchy i mean a lot bitchy and that he was complaining about a lot of stuff that uh you know wasn't really an egregious crime against his humanity but just more racing and uh we can't fault yeah, him for I, being bitchy when when he gets strolled right i mean anybody would lose their shit getting strolled you know, Gerald, I was meaning to ask you uh, what your defensive Lance Stroll was going to be this week. Do you have do you have anything uh, prepared? Uh, I'm, look, I'm going to be honest. I think uh, I think Pierre squeezed him a little bit. They like to say, "Oh, he left him room." I don't know that. I don't know that three. In- I don't know. That- <laughs> I don't know that three inches counts as room. And uh, look, I like to see. I like to see oh. Mister Stroll getting his elbows out, showing a little bit more aggression on track. Oh yeah, it didn't seem Dude. like a totally absent-minded contact. Like he didn't look in his mirrors. It was a little bit like. Yeah, fuck you. I'm going to take this spot. So, um, and look, apparently they have the car built. <laughs> apparently Lance Stroll built the car to the specific, or Lawrence Stroll had the team build the car to the specifications of his son, because that thing hey. is damn durable. Hey, when I, that's a great point. When I go over a curb and launch two tires in the air, I expect there to be space for me to stick the landing. <laughs> Pierre knew what he was getting into, right? I mean, it's like racing against Max. Lewis said it. You leave him a little extra space. Gasly knew who he was racing, you, and he chose not dude, to do it. Dude, their their freaking steering rods on that Aston Martin have got to be made of titanium. Oh, that, <laughs> that car suspension. Their suspension, yeah, is impressive. I mean, it was. I can't remember what race was it. It wasn't. Was it Baku or this is the second time where he was like hitting right. the, yeah. the, the, I think it was the front tires in that case, like on corner entry and, and Just was still tank fine. slapped it. Yep. Yeah. So, yep. um, yes. he, he knows the equipment he's working with. I think they, I think they've sacrificed some speed for a little bit of weight in, uh, and durability in, in Stroll's car at least. I- can we just, I, I know that this is stating the obvious and we both agree on this and we'll drop the bit for a second, but just like, I, it needs to be said. If there's anybody that deserved to lose their seat and have Danny Rick step into it this week, it was fucking Lance Stroll. Like, come on, man. Like, show me something. Like, something. Like, I just, it's a joke. It's beyond a joke. It's just, and honestly, is devolving into something that might even be considered sad. And feeling sad for him is tough. Well, I mean, it's going to be very sad when they drop out of the, the top three because if Ferrari could just pull their head out of their ass for a couple of fucking weekends, they'd easily take third place in constructors. But I mean, I guess that's wishing for a miracle, but yeah, stroll is not helping that team score points any weekend. Um, and stuff like that doesn't help. So what say you on the theme of just the craziness of the grid getting strolled? Max? Oh, the grid without no. Max. What say you of the boys from McLaren and Oscar Piastri? Where did that come from? I mean, that's equally as shocking of as where Aston Martin came from this year. Again, I think it might be more shocking. Because they didn't even have an offseason to do it. They've done it intro season. 
not even over the summer break. Which is kind of interesting as though they they kind of weren't ready and were waiting for maybe either additional data, additional observations. And I mean, it's kind of the nice thing about the overall structure of F1 is you kind of get to look around and see like, all right, what's working, what's not, and then pursue a path a little bit more focused if you if you haven't forged your own. But I mean, still, that level of progress is very impressive and it just makes you wonder why they've been able to take that step forward with the same information while Mercedes haven't, right? I mean, was their initial platform that different, whereas McLaren was a little bit more centrist and therefore more easily able to adapt, whereas Mercedes was kind of so far away that they're not able to do that in in one jump and they truly do need a different chassis design kind of from the ground up. But I mean, credit to them, made for a great show. Both drivers, we talk about, you know, in different situations, we've talked about a lot around DeVries kind of taking advantage of your opportunities. Talk a little bit about Sargent as well as of late, but both of those drivers stepped in and capitalized on a good situation to the max. And you got to give it out to, to Piastri. I mean, kind of sad he didn't get to, to enjoy a podium on, on kind of unfortunate pit stop timing, but um, truly well-deserved and is is now demonstrating the the pedigree and the fact that he deserves to be where he's at. So, I mean, he is he's making the most of it. He he almost had a run at max on lap 1. Yeah, if uh, Norris could have somehow he, opened the door a little bit for him to to get by. Yeah, that was a very real possibility. And that would I think made a it wouldn't have changed the game, but that could have no. created a bit of a prolonged battle as as Piastri sort of creates the DRS train. Um behind Norris but I mean it was it was it seems inevitable still at, at this point well even after he got through and I think what, what was the what was the note Oscar got all the upgrades except the new front wing so he was still running the old front wing and with that he damn near matched Lant, uh, uh, Norris's pace in the first in the first stint and you know got unlucky from the safety car as you said but yeah I mean I agree I, I it's it, you know there's just stuff that got it, he was obviously super hyped and and to such an extent that there was all this political infighting to get him out of Alpine in a way that was almost truly unprecedented and I don't know I'm a, it was almost so crazy like the him getting to a full-time team that story I almost kind of had to convince myself that he couldn't live up to the hype cuz it was so nuts and he seems to actually be that good uh and it's still so early. Like the guy has not even been in ten Grand Prix yet. It's it, it's it's impressive, and I like his demeanor. You know, he just he kind of seems to go about his business. So I don't know. What did you think of the uh, the pit stop decision that almost sort of threw away their chances at a at a podium, putting on the the hards while everybody else was was on softs. Did you think, were you surprised? Did you think that was the the right decision given all the information? I flipped out when it happened and I thought McLaren was totally wrong and I was totally convinced they had given away second. Um, And then was there anybody available to chase Norris? I guess that would have been Piastri at the end of the day. Who who was uh, fifth? Perez? Or no. uh, No, we're not Russell. Alonzo. No. It would have been Russell. Russell would have been Russell. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, I was thinking to myself, well, Mercedes is going to get two spots on this podium was my initial thought. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think the calculus McLaren was ultimately doing was they were saying he may get overtaken, uh, at the beginning of the restart, but we think that the hards are going to be faster in the last five laps. And if worst case he does, he'll have a shot to come back at Hamilton. And I, I don't know, man, I get why it was stressful for Norris, but, I kind of am inclined to say that McLaren was right. Maybe they were lucky, but they were ultimately maybe right. I mean, I don't know. at the end of the day, they were right because it worked. But I, I still think that they were were wrong because it seemed like they were still over-anticipating high degradation, which for me, and obviously all the cars are different, but when Russell's out there on 31 lap old soft tires, when I, like I said, the mediums weren't even projected to go that long. And Norris is telling you on the mediums, basically on the same duration, like I'm totally good at this pace over and over again. 
I'm surprised that that didn't click in their mind. And I wonder how much of this plays more on the the new like tire design. I have to think that this is a bigger play than we've thought. And I think it's a boon to the teams that have suffered with higher degradation. So I don't think like the likes of Mercedes or Aston Martin are no, you're right. benefiting from the tire change. And so I think there's almost this like this double effect where they're benefiting both from their car upgrades, but also from the different tires with lower deg. And so I think they were still over anticipating it. And I think they would have had the same outcome, if not an easier one, if they put on the softs. Uh, But it made it interesting for us. Look at you, tire guy. I think you've, uh, you've, you've cracked, you've tracked this, you cracked this case. I mean, it, it does perfectly explain the um, significant step forward of both Williams and McLaren simultaneously. Yep. Um, And look, Ferrari by and large was, was in that position. I mean, based on qualifying, they were fourth and fifth. Now you can't help those fuckers from throwing away a race with strategy, How? but How? I honestly, Gerald, as I sit here and reflect on it, <laughs> I can't even look I, I I can't what what did they do? What like what did they do? I mean, for I, for I mean the, the craziest thing to me was well first off, I loved <laughs> Favorite parts of the race on radio were two things. One, well, I guess one was radio, one was broadcast. Favorite moment on broadcast was, I can't remember who it was on, but Russell makes a good pass along the outside. I think it was maybe on like Leclerc at one point. He makes a pass around the outside. Um, and James Hinchcliffe goes, wow, great pass by Russell. I'm sure he's on the radio telling his team how great it was right now. <laughs> yes, I remember that. I just that was awesome. cracked up. And the number two is just <laughs> para, or, uh, signs not knowing what plan B was and not giving a shit that he didn't know what plan B was, more importantly. <laughs> so- like, what about plan B? He's like, I don't even know what that is. Uh, <laughs> he yeah, is whatever just, it is, it was probably wrong. Yeah, pass. I don't, not sure. He's like, Guys, I've been making this shit up as I go for the last six weeks. So, like, have fun with your plans. <laughs> yeah. We went through A through G this morning. I don't remember none of them. Just tell me what's stupid. How you want me to fuck this up today? Yeah. So, um, that was one. And then Leclerc. So, basically, the whole thing was, like, they pitted him twice because they pitted him so yeah. early. They pitted Poorly timed first pit, yeah. Poorly timed way early first pit and then pitted him again under safety. So, I mean, he's out there with two pit stops, even though it's faster. That just dropped him to the back of the grid on a track that's not easy to pass on. So it just seems like they don't weigh the variables at all of, hey, this is a substantially harder track to pass on. We need to not just throw away track position. I, it's, I mean, it's on race pace, unex- they could have they could have beaten Mercedes on race pace, I would think. It's almost I un- mean, inexplicable, honestly. Like, yeah. They both gave up, it, what, five spots from their their qualifying positions? It, what, like, what, what was signs as Or the, at one point, what, what, they had what, lost to five at lo- they had both lost five positions at one point. They, they pitted signs later, but then he, something else happened to him in the second half of the race that dropped him down the order. Do you remember what it was? That's what I can't remember. I can't. No, I don't remember why signs got fucked. I was too embarrassed to even look for them. But it did they put him on the hards and couldn't light the tires up? Is that what it was? I think that might have been part of it. Oh yeah, because he ended up being in like a bad spot yeah. where he ended up getting passed. But it was a poor, they, poor timing where he ended up they, getting passed they, by yeah, multiple they, drivers. They yeah. released him basically with a bunch of guys behind him on cold hards, and then he got just like obliterated. Yeah, yeah. he had three different drivers pass him. I think like on a single lap, basically, because he was in like a little bit of a battle, took the turn wrong, and then then just ended up getting blown by. Yeah, you're right. So I mean, just not putting their drivers in the right position, and that's why honestly, like when you talk about drivers to replace Perez signs is clearly not happy. You know, he's got a drop. He, he's got a contract coming up in that same, what, 2024 timeframe. It doesn't seem like, uh, while this might change, like Leclerc is a lifer, you know, he's on a life sentence at, at Ferrari, a self-imposed life sentence at Ferrari, but you know, he's clearly not, not signs is not in a happy spot. I don't disagree, but I also think that Sainz is the kind of guy who, at this point in his career, is still not yet convinced that he shouldn't be a number one driver. And so that's why I still put a lot of weight in the whole Audi rumor, because I think they could end up viewing him that way. So I don't disagree what you what you're saying from Red Bull's perspective. I can see Sainz having a hard time wanting to be Verstappen's teammate. Like almost basically like Danny Rick felt five years ago. And, you know he maybe just has to come to the conclusion that there's no better seat the hard way. Hope not because I like signs, but I don't know. 
Well, so uh, so going back to McLaren, I, their development, you know, the development of Aston Martin. Well, I guess it's maybe not fair because they're still still all chasing Red Bull by a by a pretty wide margin. I guess I just feel I, curious to get your thoughts on. It seems like the the sport is is almost hurting itself with these rapid kind of very significant evolutions in car design because I mean with this one obviously within the last generation they finally hit this sweet spot and it seemed like they kind of just threw Mercedes to the wolves in the last generation to create some proximity in the rule change so maybe that was a little bit more manufactured but again you're seeing this like really interesting movement of the teams closing the gap now creating you know three four different teams in the quote unquote right behind Red Bull category. And then in 2026, we're going to change all over again. Do you think that the potential risk to like the quality of the competition is outweighed by the benefit of having some additional constructors join the sport, which seemed to be kind of the primary motivation behind the 2026 changes? I don't know if I agree with the theory that the pace of regulatory change is increasing that rapidly. Because even if you look forward to 2026, like it, it's a it's a it's a significant evolution in one element of the tech stack being the power unit, but not an arrow. And I don't think I can sit here and say that one of those is more fundamentally complicated than the other. I'm glad they're not forcing them to do it all at the same time, but like. I think the sport has kind of always been this way in terms of every couple of years, one of the major technical components of the car kind of gets a new set of rules written. And I look, if they're, if their North star is to create more parity across car performance, across the grid, putting max aside, which you kind of have to, because he's just a bit of a statistical anomaly. It's hard to deny that they have been effective, you know, I mean, good God, dude. I mean, like, there's as much uncertainty anyone, this season as, as any other, right? Oh, has anyone been able to predict the relative performance of teams week over week? No. I have not heard a single pundit that has had any foreshadowing ability for anything we've seen week to week. I mean, good dude. Botas might be on the fucking podium at the Hungaro ring. I have no... <laughs> Let's not go crazy. ...idea. <laughs> I have no... I genuinely... Nobody has a clue. What's going to happen week over week? We don't have a clue. And and sometimes it's easy to forget that because of where Max is. But I just, I don't know. I actually, I think the regulations have done a decent job. No, I think you make a good point of the sort of component by component. You can't do it wholesale if you're only taking a fraction of the the overall machine. You sort of moderate a lot of that change. And I think there's a good lesson in that in terms of overall kind of change management, right, of you create a lot of risk when you're changing every single component versus maintaining stability across 80% and only ever changing 20, regardless of how dramatic that the change degree of change is for that 20% portion. All right. Well, let's, um, I mean, it's a, it's amazing that we haven't talked about this yet. It was probably other than, you know, Ricardo sort of stole the thunder, but what was your thoughts? And, you know, you're the big, uh, you're the big, cultural uh watcher here so brad pitt the f1 movie on the track in silverstone any observations any takeaways from uh the merging of of art and and sport um i'll start on the logical side of my brain it's pretty cool that they seem to have given a hollywood film the level of access that they've given it without annoying all of the teams on a race weekend that was a risk for F1 to take. They seem to have towed the line effectively. Hats off to them. Stefano deserves a lot of credit for that. So I think we should put that out there. That said, I hate the name, and I think the script sounds a little cheesy. All right, give, Just me, give me the breakdown. Apex. Do you like that name, Apex? Like It literally sounds like something I would name my fake Formula 1 team in my F1 video game. Or like a high school research paper that was about Formula One. It's just a little cheese dicky, you know? And 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 you know, maybe you can say, Graham, it only time can make a movie legendary. It can't be made that way in name alone. People probably thought the Titanic was a stupid sound if a name about a, a movie about a boat. I don't know. But 
Well, Titanic was the name of the boat, so I guess that's kind of a moot point. But you get you see what I'm trying to say. I I am a little worried that the plot sounds a little cheesy. All right, what's the and, plot? And just for people, the plot is Brad Pitt basically plays the second career driver, old hat, end of his rope. He basically early on in his racing career, what we know is he had a bad accident in an early kind of F1 career, got out of it, went into all these other formulas, and then basically presumably in his late 30s or 40s, he gets a call from a friend who's a, an owner of a team at the bottom of the grid called ACX Racing or whatever the name of it is. And he is invited back to jo- go alongside this young phenom driver who's played by, what, Carson Elba or whatever his name is, Elba, the British actor. And, you know, craziness ensues. I love how, I love how thoroughly you've researched this. The, old, yeah, fuck it, whatever. old hat. Old hat. All you got to do is listen to the Tom or the Brad Pitt interview with Martin Brundle, and you literally just repeat what I just said. Uh, again, Gerald, the the lion's share of the research I do is is packaged into five minute YouTube clips. I think you understand that by now. So uh, I'm not citing sources. Clearly, uh, the um, uh, I just I I think that that plot sounds like it could be cheesy, but then again. Top Gun Maverick, very cheesy, but very entertaining. And it's the same producer. So, and same director. So, you know, I, I'm i trying to remain optimistic and withhold judgment, but it smells a little cheese dicky. Well, and even if it's, even if it's not corny, I, I struggle to see how we don't have a better version of that movie playing out before us in real life. In in Fernando Alonso or even in Danny Ricardo. Like I feel like movies like, like that, which you just described, like Maverick, for example, is so fascinating because of the veil of the military and the mystery that exists. And you get to have that narrative, but also in the context that you may not get a lot of, may not have a lot of perspective into otherwise, while something like F1 is so transparent from, the, the all of the press that the drivers and teams are forced to do to driver radios to the racing itself to prolonged weekend with practices and qualifying it's like there's so much exposure i don't know what more i get out of that than watching it play out week in and week out with fernando alonso and and aston martin which is why i agree with what you're saying and so that's why i think from a Hollywood standpoint, the sport may be more effectively covered through biopics than through dramatizations. Like, I would probably rather, if I'm going to have to watch a dramatization, I would rather watch a dramatization of Lewis Hamilton's life. You know? Like, turn that into a feature film, right? Like, the reason why Rush, right, the story of Nicky Lauda and James Hunt, I think has had a second life in Hollywood now that America... is Because it tells you part of the history of Formula One in the film, and it's incredibly dramatic and entertaining. I think if they get away, to your point, from the reality of the sport, i.e. the current characters or past characters in the sport, it could get cheesy really quick. I, 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 that's the risk. And it kind of goes to that. We've, we talked about this a lot with Drive to Survive in terms of like who is the audience, right? And I wonder who's the audience for that, right? And and I think it's an interesting approach, right? Because you're trying – like the movie producers are trying to tap into the success of the sport as well. Right. And I wonder like, are you super excited to go see that movie Are other like F1 fans? Or again, is this the kind of, I don't really watch F1, but like drive to survive was cool and Brad Pitt's dope. So like, I'll go check out that movie. Right. Like I think they're tapping into that, like kind of casual periphery from beyond the sport. But in terms of, again, people who, truly are interested in the sport and fans, I think you're right, would appreciate more of the the kind of historical biopic um, medium. The, the the title Apex appeals to people who don't know what an Apex is. Yeah, it's like, damn, that sounds and, cool. Like a predator? And that's what worries me, yeah, right? Yeah. So it's like, is this going to be really about bringing people in who aren't familiar with racing and then you and I are going to be left frustrated when we walk out of the theaters because of course I'm going to go to an unopening weekend you know, that it just was totally misrepresentative, shit. you know, like it's, well, of course you're going to be on pirate bay dot what, <laughs> whatever God, it is I now. Know what, the, what, yeah, God, what freaking 
<laughs> freaking server farm you're connected to <laughs> in like Indonesia. But we'll see. I mean, I'm sure to your point, I, it'll probably be a good movie top to bottom. And I think especially helped by the proximity that they have to the actual sport using the real car design tracks. Like, so I think they're doing it as, as good as they, as they possibly can. But yeah, it's almost like they saw, saw the narrative with Fernando coming back and be like, that would be a great movie, but let's not credit him at all. Yeah. Plot seems a little, yeah, I agree. Plot seems a little obvious. Yep. Yeah. So. Yep. We'll see. Ah, we'll still watch it. But hey, at least they made Lance Stroll, at least they made Lance Stroll black. That'll, that'll bring in, bring in some audience eyes. I mean, I, I, I like this guy, this actor better than Lance Stroll already. (laughs) <laughs> I can hear those pedals spinning backwards. <laughs> Tell me how much you appreciate this actor whose name you can't fully come fully state. <laughs> He's hot though. It looks like he could be a candidate for the new bond. I mean, mm, geez. maybe that, maybe this is the stepping stone still unannounced. Yeah. Oh, uh, very much. Yeah. Waiting with bated breath. Yeah. Man. Well, time. What up tell. Tom Hardy? Ah, uh, yep. That door's closed, unfortunately. Now, what would you know? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I think I know that they're trying to get somebody that they can have sit there and do movies for 20 years and want somebody who's kind of young. So that puts Tom Hardy at being fucking 60 years old by the end of it. Uh, how old was Daniel Craig when he started his bond? Probably not a lot older than Tom Hardy is right now. So how about you step off your ageism, okay? <laughs> Asshole. God. <laughs> Oh, yeah, you that, probably want that was the real sin probably, of this episode was ages. <laughs> you probably want you probably want Tom Holland in the freaking Bond seat, which you know you can get lost with that noise. Ooh, I'm here for Tom Holland, not as a Bond. Doubt. <laughs> Can't have Spider Man be Bond. He's like the uh, the Pierce Brosnan version, you know, a little more polished. That's a joke. New he's direction. A child. He's a child. The origin origin story. What else we got? I think that's it, man. I think we uh, I I think we covered the big Troy stuff. Force. That was an hour. Look at that. Barely had a plan, and here we are, Boom. 60 minutes later. All right. Clearly, that's... Fuck the show notes, man. What am I doing all that covered work nothing, for? <laughs> covered nothing, said nothing per usual, but it felt more entertaining. It did. <laughs> it's fun for us. That's what matters. Absolutely. Uh, anything we need to say about the Hungara ring? I certainly have nothing. I hate this track. Uh, let's hope it, let's hope it rains. Nuts. Rain, baby, rain. You are 100% right. That is the only redeeming hope we have. Any expectations on, I guess, team performance as you look a, look ahead? Dude, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, okay. I, I think Aston Martin for a double podium. How about that? Let me just... <laughs> I actually... The resurgence of the resurgent team. My wild prediction? Wild prediction. Yeah, Perez gets into Q2. <laughs> oh, shut <laughs> up. Again... I don't want anybody calling me after this telling me that we haven't been mean to Perez, okay? The man is dead to a, Well, Gerald, not quite You dead tell to me what you want me to say, and I'll say it. <laughs> <laughs> put it in writing. Put it in our email, racingunqualified at gmail.com, and Gerald will read it verbatim on the air. He's just <laughs> promised you that. Sold. I'm going to have to... I'm going to have to invent a fake Gmail account and start stacking the inbox up <laughs> <laughs> with li- listener line suggestions. Oh, I'll know. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. All right. Well, till next time. See you in Hungary. All right. Always a pleasure, buddy. I'll get to my work in post and, and work on making your uh, your voice as quiet as a church mouse on the on the. Audio. Yeah, if you could please try to equalize this shit. I feel like a second class citizen. I feel like I'm the I'm the sitting in the back of the room asking you know with the mic in the room asking hey questions and you're on center hey stage with your responses. A little parody on hey, the show my, might be nice. My license for Adobe Audition ha- can have installs on multiple devices, so you are welcome anytime to install that on the piece of shit PC you're using for this every week that keeps dropping off of the recording audio and uh, and take your own crack at, at modifying our waveforms. I, I would invite, welcome that anytime. It's like, God, I wish I wasn't so technologically inept. Yeah, hey man, don't, don't, don't cast your freaking... Your own freaking lack of skills on me, man. <laughs> well, you know, division of division of responsibility. Some, somebody's got to make sure I we know. have premier topics of conversation week in and week out. So, you it, know. It, the, 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 the workload is, is, is shared and the contributions are all valued equally. Here, here. All right, buddy. Always a pleasure. Likewise. Peace. Peace.